Award-winning coverage lives right here on WMUL-FM Huntington, WFGH-FM Fort Gay, and WTHMLP Ravenswood, West Virginia. I'm dropping the hammer. No, you're not. Welcome to Speed Zone, the best motorsports show on radio. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and across the next hour, we'll recap everything. Yes, everything. In racing that happened in the last week, we'll discuss the latest news and cap it all off with a star-studded interview. So buckle up, rev your motor, and drop the hammer, because this is Speed Zone. And welcome, everybody, to the first ever episode of Speed Zone. I'm your host, Ben Cower, and it's a pleasure to be on the air tonight talking to you about racing. It's been a couple years since there's been a racing show here on WMUL, the last show being the Racer's Edge, but tonight begins Speed Zone. And I'm your host, Ben Cower. We'll have panelists tonight to talk a little bit about racing, tell you a little bit about the show. We'll have the week that was, or off-season that was, in motorsports coming right up during Flag to Flag, and then right after that, a little catch up on what's to come this week and when things are starting and then after that the first ever edition of the racing roundtable usually we'd have an interview but we'll have that next episode tonight will be pure talk so with not with much more to do hey you know what let's get right into flag to flag Welcome to Flag to Flag, a recap of the week that was in motorsports, as Ben Cower covers everything you might have missed in this past week of racing action. All right, for the first edition of Flag to Flag, let's cover the off-season that was instead of just the week that was. A lot happened this off-season, and we'll start with the 55th annual Snowball Derby, which occurred on December 4th, 2022. Finally, it was Derek Thorne taking home the Tom Dawson Trophy in the Snowball Derby after so many dominant performance performances excuse me, over the last few years. Thorne led 252 laps in 2020 before coming up short to Ty Majeski. It set sail last year for 287 laps up front before eventually being bridesmaid yet again, that time to Chandler Smith. Thorne, learning that this team, that his team, Campbell Motorsports, would be shutting down, left it all out on the track on December 4th, leading more than 300 laps in a masterclass of a race by Thorne. It was Thorne and Josh Berry making up the front row for the snowball, with Thorne getting the early jump off the green flag and setting sail early. Numerous cautions peppered the midsection of the event, collecting Augie Grill, Jeremy Doss, Luke Fenhouse, along with another incident that totaled Eric Jones' machine on lap 178 after Ty Majeski made contact with Jones' rear bumper, with Jones taking a hard rear first shot into the turn one wall. Josh Berry dropped from the top three and sunk through the field before Casey Roderick buckled Berry's back bumper with 32 laps to go and spun him off of turn two. Thorne pitted with most of the leaders, while Carson Cavapel and Bubba Pollard chose to stay out, with Thorne eventually retaking the lead in less than 12 laps after the restart, passing both Pollard and Cavapel were on old tires. Stephen Nassi and Sammy Smith were now clear in the picture after Pollard spun his worn tires off another restart, and another Josh Berry spin put the field back under yellow with less than 10 to go. A time Majeski Rex set up one final restart, of which Derek Thorne spun his tires, yet held off a hard-charging Sammy Smith, who raced Thorne clean for his first-ever Snowball Derby victory. Stephen Nassi, who started 36th with a provisional, which was shotgun on the field for context, finished third. 
Thorne is now the career laps leader at the Derby with 960 laps led overall, besting Eddie Mercer's mark of 782. The top five in the Snowball Derby, Derek Thorne won, Sammy Smith was second, Stephen Nassi finished third, Casey Roderick was fourth, and Cole Butcher rounded out the top five. Now on to the 37th annual Chili Bowl, which took place from January 8th through 13th, but we'll focus on that Saturday the 13th, the final night of the bowl. With 365 entries this year hunting for a coveted trophy in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the end, it was an A-Main winner versus another A-Main winner for the Golden Driller, the 37th annual Chili Bowl. It was Logan Seavey coming out on top over last year's winner Tanner Thorson to take home the trophy. Seavey had won the A-Main the night prior, Friday night, and Thorson was the A-Main winner on Thursday before Saturday's alphabet soup of mains led up to the A-Main finale. CV was about perfect. He won his heat, his qualifier, his preliminary race, the pole shuffle, and then he dominated the 55-lap championship A-Main. CV won while driving for four-time Chili Bowl winner Kevin Swindell, who picked up his first-ever Golden Driller as a car owner. Notably, neither Kyle Larson or Christopher Bell, who dominated the event the last half decade, entered into this year's event. Not one NASCAR driver who was entered into this year's overall field, including Chase Briscoe, J.J. Yaley, Josh Balicki, Carson Ozevar, Alex Bowman, and Caden Honeycutt, actually managed to advance to the main event on Saturday. In the A-Main, it was CV starting out up front, leading laps 1 through 20, then briefly surrendering the lead to Candon McIntosh for laps 21 through 30. CV then rolled right back to Lee the final 25 laps to take the victory, making him the 23rd different winner in Chili Bowl history. Again, Thorson finished second, McIntosh dropped the third, and the biggest mover of the A-Main was Tim Buckwalter, who made up 14 spots to finish ninth. Shane Golovic and Emerson Axum rounded out the top five finishers, with sixth through tenth being Kyle Jones, Mitchell Moles, Trey Marsham, the aforementioned Tim Buckwalter, and 2022 Turkey Night Grand Prix winner Justin Grant. Another notable stat was that A-Main was the first ever at the Chili Bowl to not have just one, but two women make the show, with Jade Avedesian and Kaylee Bryson both advancing from lower mains. Avedesian finished 18th and Bryson 22nd of 24 cars. Now we'll get on to the Rolex 24 Hours of Daytona, which took place between Saturday, 20, or Saturday January 28th and Sunday, January 29th. The, it was Meyer Shank Racing's Tom Bloomquist piloting the pole-winning number 60 Acura RX, R, ARX excuse me, to a 4.190 second victory to win the overall event. It was the second consecutive and third overall Rolex 24 victory for the Meyer Shank team, which led a race best three, excuse me, a race best 365 of the 783 laps, crossing the stripe ahead of Felipe Albuquerque in the number 10 Konica Minolta Acura ARX from Wayne Taylor Racing with Andretti Autosport. The Cadillac Racing Cadillac LMD cars numbered 01 and 02 from Chip Ganassi Racing finished third and fourth. The top four cars were separated by just 11 seconds after 24 hours of racing on the 3.56 mile Daytona International Speedway road course. Victory was Castroneves, third straight in the Daytona 24, tying late sports car legend Peter Gregg for most consecutive overall victories in the event as a driver. The MSR number 60 led the final 97 laps despite it having to repair the gearbox mid-race and worrying whether it would indeed make it to the end. It marks the third straight Rolex 24 overall victory for Acura, which also won with the Wayne Taylor Racing Team in 2021. 
LMP2 also had an unbelievable finish after 24 hours of racing, with a win in the LMP2 class coming down to a last lap pass and a side-by-side -side finish at the checkered flag. James Allen, driving the 55 Proton Competition Orica, stole the show and won by just 16 hundredths of a second as he bested Ben Hanley with a phenomenal last lap dash off the final turn and beat Hanley to the finish line by just a nose. You might have noticed the bed stopped under me. That's how much happened this offseason. We still got two things to go. We'll continue with the World of Outlaws Federated Auto Parts Dirt Car Nationals down at Volusia Speedway Park in Barberville, Florida. With the assistance of some rain and impeccable driving talent, David, David Gravel excuse me, won not one, but two World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series features last Friday in less than seven hours, alongside capturing his second straight Big Gator Championship at the Dirt Car Nationals, thanks to Race 3 being rained out. It was a three-race event. Gravel is the second driver to win three straight events at Volusia, the sixth driver to win two races in one day, and the seventh driver to open the season with back-to-back -back wins. His first win was at 6.08 p.m. before capturing another checkered flag for his big game motorsports number two sprint car, and then at 12.46 a.m., both being his 77th and 78th wins in World of Outlaws competition. And finally, the new Smyrna World Series of Asphalt Stock Car Racing is going on right now. It's been going on since Thursday, uh, Jan excuse me, February 9th through sa this Saturday, February 18th. Of note, night two was the season opener of the NASCAR Wheeland Modified Series for the Wheeland Modified Series 200. And it was longtime Modified Series veteran Ron Silk holding off a hard-charging Justin, bon Justin Bonsignor and Matt Hirschman for numerous laps en route to the victory in the first official NASCAR Wheeland Modified race of the year, ending a dry spell in the wind department for himself and his team spanning all the way back to 2021. Bonsignor, who, led, or had, who had a race laced with contact, muscled silk during the closing laps of the event before aggressively sending his car deep into turn one and forcing silk out of the groove. That gave him his first lead of the night. Silk got his payback just a few laps later with a like-minded move, which gave him enough of a cushion to stave off Bonsignor for the victory. Anthony Cezali and Doug Kobe, who dominated for most of the race, rounded out the top five. And finally, the winner on night five, which was Tuesday the 12th, of the famed Clydehart Memorial 100 was William Byron. Byron, who's won four of his five races so far at the World Series of Asphalt, took home the trophy in the Clydehart Memorial 100 after simply surviving a race filled with miscues by his competitors. In his Donnie Wilson machine, Byron started ninth, and like a hot knife through butter, slid his, way, slid his way through the field. Mechanical problems plagued Stephen Nassi, Bubba Pollard, and William Sawalik, and gave Byron the keys to a Tuesday night, Sunday night drive over second place Jake Finch. Casey Roderick rounded out the top three and now leads the World Series of Asphalt Championship. We'll take a quick break, and I'll take a quick breather after a lot of reading. And when we come back, I'll tell you what's up this week and when everything's coming back. More coming up next right here on Speed Zone. This tree was never chopped down because this crutch never needed to be carved because these legs never grew weak because this child <laughs> never got polio. Over the past 20 years, Rotary Club members have helped immunize over 2 billion children against polio. Now we are on the brink of eradicating this crippling disease once and for all. But we need your help. 
Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to make sure vaccines reach the people who need it, to protect the children of the world against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary. Humanity in motion. And welcome back, everybody, to Speed Zone. Time to tell you what's up this week. Daytona 500 qualifying is tonight at 8.15 p.m. on FS1. Hey, you know what? We're a precursor to that. Maybe you're listening right now. Lead straight into qualifying later this evening again at 8.15 p.m. on FS1. Thursday has the only ARCA practice this week. 1.30 p.m. Craftsman Truck Series. Yes, that's right. Craftsman is back. Camping World's Gone, Craftsman, the original sponsor of the series, it's back. Craftsman Truck Series practice is at 5.05 p.m., that's first practice, and then both duels for cup, each 60 laps. Duel 1 starts at 7 p.m., and Duel 2 is scheduled to start at 8.45 p.m. Notice how I didn't say cup practice? We'll talk about that later. Friday is jam-packed. ARCA qualifying is at 1.30 p.m., Final truck practice is at 3 p.m. First, And the first and only Xfinity practice of the weekend is at 4.30 p.m. Post-Duels Daytona 500 practice is at 5.30. And then the Next Era Energy 250. The first race of the year for the Craftsman Truck Series. is its Coverage starts at 7.30 p.m. for the 100-lap race on FS1 again on Friday night. Saturday is also jam-packed. An early final practice for the Cup Series, a final tune-up for the Daytona 500 at 10.30 a.m. is then followed up by Xfinity Series qualifying at 11.30 a.m. There's going to be some cars going home in the Xfinity Series qualifying. And then coverage begins for the Arcus... The, excuse me, the ARCA Daytona 200 at 1.30 p.m., which will be followed up by a later starting season opener for the Xfinity Series as coverage for the, and get ready for this race name, the beef, it's What's for Dinner 300. Yes, that's the actual race name. It begins at 5.30 on FS1. And then Sunday, Sunday, Sunday is the 65th running of the Daytona 500 to kick off the regular season for NASCAR's 75th anniversary season. Tune in at 2.30 p.m. So, now on to when are things starting? There's a lot of things coming up this season, and NASCAR is really the only thing. Uh, you know, there's some late model events. Uh, World of Outlaws is ongoing right now, but NASCAR really the only big racing series that is back already. So when are things starting? Let me tell you right now. IndyCar is back on March 5th as the series returns to the streets of St. Petersburg, Florida to kick off its 17-race season. Formula One is also back that same weekend, March 3rd through 5th in Bahrain for the Bahrain Grand Prix, which is round one of the 23-race 2023 schedule for, again, Formula One. World of Outlaws is back on track March 5th and 6th at Volusia Speedway Park once again, this time for the low-E insulation spring showdown. The Cars Late Model Stock Tour is back on track March 11th at Southern National Motorsports Park in Kenley, North Carolina for its season opener. WEC and IMSA are jointly back on Saturday, March 18th for the 12 Hours of Sebring. And the Arkham Menard Series West Series, or the Arkham Menard Series West, yes, it's named that, it's not the West Series, it's Arkham Menard Series 
West. I don't ask me why it's that way. Kicks off its schedule March 10th at Phoenix Raceway. Meanwhile, the Arkham Menard Series East begins March 25th at Five Flags Speedway in Pensacola, Florida. The Wheel and Modified Tour, which started uh, very recently again at New Smyrna, is back in action on March 31st at Richmond Raceway. And then finally, the Southern Modified Series also returns Saturday, March 4th at Florence Motor Speedway for the Low Country 99. So we'll take another quick break, and then we, when we come back, finally, it's the Racing Roundtable. Myself and two panelists are going to get to talk a lot about this week's news and topics, everything relevant, and a lot of discussion, a lot of debate right up ahead, right here on Speed Zone. I thought indoor tanning was safe. Right. They say their tanning rays were less likely to cause a sunburn. What you need to know is that they can be worse. They can cause deeper skin damage because the lamps can emit more ultraviolet radiation than the sun. Up to 15 times more. 15 times. Hello? Not only can UV rays cause skin cancer, but they can cause ugly, wrinkly skin and age spots. So instead of making you look cool, they can make you look like old. And FYI, every year there are more than one million new cases of skin cancer. Including melanoma, the deadliest form of skin cancer. And, and the second most common cancer for women in their 20s. Yes, in their 20s. And treatment for skin cancer can be surgery and sometimes even chemotherapy and radiation. But still, more than 10,000 people will die from skin cancer each year. You don't want to be one of them. Don't be in the dark. Indoor tanning is out. Be safe. Don't go there. A message from the American Academy of Dermatology. For more information, visit AAD.org. Hey, if you don't want to listen, get your earplugs ready, because we're about to hear some high-octane debate. It's time for the Racing Roundtable. With your host, Ben Cower, and multiple guest panelists. Whew, now that that's over, who's at the table today? All right, welcome back to Speed Zone. It's time for the Racing Roundtable, the discussion segment of the show. And I've got two panelists on tonight. We have, as I'll put them on right now, it's Sean Kelly and Ona Speedway Track Champion, Dale Garrett. I didn't mean to, uh, it kept on rolling, so... I, that was, you know, that sound effect just worked out, didn't it, Dale? Yeah, had a, ni had a nice little sound effect <laughs> for Dale there. Perfect timing. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, Ben. Good, good. It's oh. great to be on. Excited. Okay. Excited for the first episode of Speed Zone you guys are on. So we got a lot to talk about tonight uh, here on the Racing Roundtable. Uh, we'll start out with The Clash in Los Angeles. Again, a bit of a retrospective here as, uh, again, it happened a couple weeks ago. And, you know... I got some time to just sit on it for a little bit, you know, after letting it digest for nearly two weeks. So, what are your guys' thoughts? Was it a good race, bad race, bad event, good event? <laughs> What's your guys' thought? Should they move it back to Daytona elsewhere? I think the resounding takeaway that I got from taking in the clash is how it's it's grown on me since last year. Because I remember when even... Now, even though it's not perfect, I do remember last year when it was announced and running for the first time, I immediately uh, said it was a gimmick and that it didn't really make sense for for the clash to be in Los Angeles when the rest of Speed Weeks was in Daytona for the actual race. And I, 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 I do still believe that it would probably be better off for, for continuity's sake, and especially now that NASCAR is not allowing drivers to practice before qualifying that now more than ever it's a better time for the clash to be back in Daytona but overall I feel it's 
NASCAR's done the best that it can with the situation that it put itself in and having this race in a stadium and people who are long, more longtime fans of the sport thinking, oh, this is a gimmick, this is stupid. But, you know, it, 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 I feel like the racing was better this year. Sure, it was a wreck fest. There were 16 cautions compared to five last year, but there were, there was, there was still more a more variety of leaders. And overall, I think the racing was okay. So, And business-wise, I get why NASCAR did it too. But overall, I, I think that NASCAR should probably put it back to Daytona for just convenience and continuity sake for everyone involved. I do miss my speed weeks, that's for sure. Yeah. I think we all do. Yeah. Um, however, um, I do applaud NASCAR for trying something new by moving it to L.A. in the stadium. Um, overall, the race, yeah, it was a caution fest for sure. Um, but, um, like you said, it was uh, better racing than last year for sure. But I can't help but think, from a driver's perspective, yeah, it, it's great for the fans, great entertainment. But from a driver's perspective, I can't help to think what it's like eighth on pack. Like, you're just, you're getting killed. Oh, yeah. Murdered back there. I mean, it was, how many cars were in this event this year? It was like, what, 27? Yeah, it was yeah. something absurd for that size of a racetrack. <laughs> they were getting lapped in like 10 laps or something. Yeah, 20, 27 drivers in total for, for this year, and last year it was 23. So they added even more this year. Yeah, no, that's just, that's too many. Talk about a log jam. No. <laughs> yeah. It's too many. I mean, overall, it's a nice, nice exhibition race. Um, but yeah, I miss my speed weeks. I think scheduling wise, it might be the thing. The thing that I think of is, would it be better for NASCAR to replace it with Daytona once again, and then if they want to keep the clash in Los Angeles, which, from a business perspective, I can see why. And apparently, prior to the race this year, about fifty percent they were predicting of the tickets that were that were bought were from people who didn't attend last year's event and then 70 percent the year before were from people who never bought tickets to a nascar race and the ratings were great 6.9 million last year so and the attendance was still good yeah now nascar doesn't say exactly what their attendance was but from the eye test it was a little bit less but it was a Sunday night in L.A., so, I mean, everybody was... It was a Sunday night in L.A., and with any sort of event like this that, you know, you have the inaugural event that everyone wants to go out to see because it's new, and then you have the next one. The next one's obviously going to have a little less attendance. But I'm thinking, would it be better for NASCAR to replace it at the end of the season, kind of like what they did with the races in Japan back in the mid-'90s for those exhibition races? I don't know from a driver's standpoint if that would be better or worse, but... I think with how inconvenient they've made Daytona this year, that maybe might be a little better if they want to continue this race. I, uh, thinking about it, I mean, there's two ways. NASCAR could either just keep it in the Coliseum until it really runs dry. Because I, I think overall, the excitement factor of this year's race was a bit better. Where, uh, don't get me wrong, it was very clean last year, but it was kind of bland. You know, nobody, there, it wasn't a wreck fest. But it was kind of bland. And then this year, there was way too much wrecking. It was too much of a wreck fest. So maybe third time's the charm if they go back. Uh, but, I mean, it's a very expensive event to run. I mean, they have to pave that entire area. They have to pave that entire space and then immediately tear it up. That costs, what, $1 to $2 million to do Easily. that? Yeah, and then, I mean, already having to market everything in the L.A. area and... I think overall the event itself was better this year, 
Um, it still passed the eye test. I think it was a good switch to make it a night race instead of like weird late afternoon kind of deal. I think it was better as a night race. Um, and then with some of the changes they made to the track, it was a little bit better too. They ground down the inside so it was a little more grip. So cars could really hook the bottom a bit more. Um, I think if it goes back to Florida, I, I, I just don't think the teams would want to run the Clash of Daytona again because it would, it's a wreck fest every time. Uh, I think, like, maybe, I think this would be a fun idea, but, you know, maybe run the Clash at, like, a short track in Florida. There's plenty of those down there. You got Five Flags, you got New Smyrna. I mean, I don't know how the teams would think of that, but, I mean, surely it, you know, would be less violent and maybe less cars would get torn up at a short track. I guess if it was New Smyrna, maybe if it was, it would work better if there was less cars, too. You wouldn't put 27 cup cars on the track at New Smyrna or Five Flags, but if it was a field of, like, you know, 12, 15 cars, it could work. The only thing is that if things continue the way they did this year, and if NASCAR does go back to Los Angeles in the next couple years, and those races end up being wreck fests, then what's the difference between going between LA, which is a which is a wreck fest, just a different location, and Daytona, which would also be a wreck fest, but would at least give the drivers a bit more practice, especially those who you know, you know, just it would it, give them more practice, even if it's still a wreck fest either way. If they are going to keep the um, Coliseum style, um, I would love to see them tour it around, rather not keep it in L.A., but maybe go to Chicago or Denver or, you know, anywhere that's not L.A. to try to see what they could do in other potential untapped markets. Um, Because I think even after this year, I think that the L.A. market is going to get tired of it and it's going to become stale. So um, I would just I'd love to see them tour it around. I completely agree with that. All right, now on to our next topic. Uh, it's a good thing you just mentioned that, Dale. You mentioned Denver. That's one of those places that, in a recent Sports Business Journal article published by none other than Adam Stern, new dates outside and potentially within the U.S. that NASCAR is looking at as an organization for potential cup race dates. Uh, apparently, according to the report, it was looking at races in New York City, Denver, Mexico, and Canada. So... What are you guys' thoughts on that? My first thought initially is that specifically with New York City, out of all those cities, and they also included Seattle as well as another more Pacific Northwest state that they that they were thinking about as well, at least initially. But with New York City, that's the one that I'm concerned about the most and the one that I think would work the least, both considering that NASCAR has tried it before and if I believe correctly, F1 has tried to get a street race in New York City for the, for the past decade and has never gotten it just because it's so tough to get land available over there, and especially for a street race like what NASCAR is planning to do, but also because you also have Pocono, which is a two-and-a-half-hour drive away, and as someone who always went to Pocono yearly and still does over the summer... Pocono attracts a lot of the New York City, New Jersey crowd alongside Philadelphia traffic as well. So if you're going to do that, I I just don't really see how that's feasible. But the thing that interests me with this is how all of these markets NASCAR has tried to do before in some sort of way. With Seattle, Evergreen Speedway with the Truck Series back in the 90s, Pikes Peak with 
Denver, even though it's, that's about an hour and 30 minutes away. Mexico, they had a road course back there in the Bush series about two decades ago, and Canada as well. So these are tap markets, pre, uh, previously tap markets, and I, I think it could work to varying degrees, but uh, I'll let Dale speak as well. <laughs> I think it's very interesting that um, they're looking into this stuff for sure. I think that ultimately we all know um, Chicago will be the test for street courses to see if they really work. Um, I do applaud NASCAR again for trying new things. Um, unfortunately, our beloved sport can't stay the same forever as much as we yeah. want it to. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that um, it's also important to bring up this, that the days of people traveling for like NASCAR events and stuff like that, they're gone. You know, you don't have people... I mean, you do have some people out there that still do, but um, you don't have people that are traveling huge distances to see stuff, and I mean, people that just live in the city, you know, if they just look and say, oh, there's this race in town, let's go to it, it's much simpler than buying a plane ticket or uh, buying a hotel room somewhere. So, um, I think also with the rise of travel costs, especially, like I was looking at hotels the other day, um, just a random night, and it was like 200 bucks a night. And it was insane of what they've gone up to after COVID. So, I applaud NASCAR for trying to do this, but uh, we'll see how it goes with Chicago. My opinion initially on street races, as someone who really does isn't uh proponent of, ch- of of change in you know lot a lot of my sports at least initially I, I I question NASCAR like trying to do the F1 thing of going into street races and what IndyCar's done as well but it's something that when you think about it more especially with how fast F1 has grown in the past couple years in popularity that you, you gotta assume that it's needed after a while at least to test it out one year and if it doesn't work well then you can go to any number of places if you want to add another race but I'm interested to see if some of these markets will take to NASCAR again and you know Mexico City I'm pretty sure had some pretty good numbers at Autodromo in the road course again I don't know the attendance number specifically because NASCAR doesn't release them but Montre- Montreal, if they do go to like Canada or something like that, they- Montreal was always the packed house. Yeah, even for like Bush or Nationwide at that point, and but- for good reason. Yeah, because it's fantastic. Always the races were fantastic. Yeah, I wish they would go back. <laughs> <laughs> they could. They could always go back to uh, the circuit. Uh, Gilles Villeneuve, yeah, 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 yeah. The um, if uh, it's pronounced, that's what it's called. It's just yeah, pronounced. But yeah, it's. It'll be interesting Gil to see Villeneuve. if, yeah, Gilville Nuve. But if any of these markets take to NASCAR again, and Mexico City, I'm especially interested in if NASCAR wants to branch out to other countries as well. I think Mexico City is going to depend on the money that NASCAR gets offered to go down there because Mexico always has. It's like selectively wanting to throw money at racing. It's like usually it's it's like Telcel. You know, it's like they, uh, I mean, they helped like Suarez get the cup. Usually it's, it's like Carlos Slim threw a lot of those people there, usually fund a decent number of the drivers that go to cup. Um, they ended up bringing Bush to Mexico or the Bush series to Mexico uh, when it did in the mid 2000s. Um, and then, I mean, that entire track down there, the F1 track, Autodromo Hernandez, or Hermanos Rodriguez, I think it is. Yes. Um, it uh, 
I mean, they put so much money into renovating it that, I mean, it's more than a cup-level facility now. Uh, it would just be the logistics of it that I think would be tough. And I think a lot of this uh, is going to come down to the success of the Chicago street race this year, where that'll be happening in July, replacing Road America, which don't necessarily agree with uh but because road america's attendance was so fantastic you know it was like a hundred more than well over 100k people showing up for that event but hey chicago is an interesting experiment if it works out it's going to be unbelievably expensive but uh and who knows if the city's going to respond well to uh the cars tearing up everything there but i'm surprised we've gotten this far yeah that's, yeah. that's another interesting thing to me as well is that are these cities even going to allow this to happen, especially with so much of these cities, like Seattle, for example? So much of their other money is going into funding, you know, whether it be schools or like a homeless issue of some sort or whatever it may be. That Do they even want to risk, you know, tearing up the streets and scheduling another race and throwing money into that when, it, you know, it has other issues? You know, there's public opposition there as well. And scheduling as well is nascar going how many of these races are nascar going to add in the next couple years as well it's all going to boil down to chicago um like i said it's very interesting that we've gotten this far but um yeah i mean i'm excited for it i don't really know like how we've pointed out how the city's going to respond to it but um i guess we'll find out in july Absolutely. So we'll take a quick break here, and then when we come back, we'll continue this racing roundtable discussion right here on Speed Zone. After the phone interview, I assumed the apartment was mine. But when I got to the place and the manager saw me, he told me it was no longer available. My husband and I wanted to see all the neighborhoods with great schools, but our real estate agent only showed us the communities where she thought we would be more comfortable. I was so excited to move into my new place, but now that I'm here, I found out that the landlord is charging me higher rent than my neighbors. Now that doesn't make me feel very welcome. These individuals may have experienced housing discrimination. The Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination because of race, color, national origin, religion, sex, disability, and familial status. If you've experienced discrimination, Call 1-800-669-9777 or visit www.hud.gov slash fairhousing. Live free from housing discrimination. Welcome back to Speed Zone, the only show on the airwaves that talks about everything in motorsports. I'm Ben Cower. Tonight on this Racing Roundtable section of the show, we're joined by Sean Kelly and Dale Garrett. So the next topic at hand will be all about new faces in new places, as currently there are a lot of changes that happen in the offseason. Uh, plenty of uh, place, new faces, new places, Kyle Busch to RCR. Specifically, we're going to be talking about NASCAR here. Um, Again, Kyle Busch to RCR, Jimmy Johnson coming back uh, to NASCAR and then helping create Legacy Motor Club, DGR, David Gillen racing, going to Tricon, 23, landing Reddick. A lot happened. Dale, let's start off with you. What really sticks out to you that's happened this offseason? What's a big change that you're keeping your eye on? The number one change in everybody's mind and in my mind is Kyle Busch to RCR. Um, he's definitely one of the most talented drivers in in my lifetime um in the past decade or so 
um, for sure he will light up. Um, I think he'll breathe a lot of life into RCR for sure. Um, I mean, his teammate being Austin Dillon, they're going to elevate the organization, no doubt. I I I believe so as well, and especially with uh, with those two drivers, I, I think Kyle will add a more veteran presence there to, as you said, lift up those two drivers even better than what they already were. But the thing that sticks out to me, this is also the one that I've kept my eye on the most in the off season. I just don't understand how if if you're Joe Gibbs Racing, how you let this happen to a driver who's done everything for you and and since 2008 since when toyota came into the sport he's given toyota and and if you're trd as well toyota racing development he's given toyota their first win in the cup series the first championship in the cup series as well and he's now the winningest driver at at jgr as well he's 56 of his 60 cup wins we're at JGR, and if you're JGR, you go. No, actually, we want to, ha- we want to ha- to have a, a, a sponsor first, and then get to <laughs> Kyle. Yeah, I, I I get the whole thing was that Kyle was deemed unmarketable, and look how that's working out. Yeah, <laughs> he's like mostly fully sponsored. He's now, entirely he? sponsored. Yeah. There okay. was a season at RCR. <laughs> there were a good amount of sponsors who came back to the number eight car after this year there was yeah cheddars was a big one yep. it actually stepped up it stepped up it added races yeah because cheddars uh, alsco lenovo bet mgm now 3g yeah there were many that uh, that came back even though that in interviews people from rcr said that it did take a little bit of conceding but that's part of the game but my point here is that kurt bush his brother went through his own scandals a couple years ago and Monster Energy still sponsored him. Well, yeah. There's still sponsors that will go after a, a person like a uh, that has a personality like Kyle Busch. So with with how much Kyle Busch has done for JGR, I just don't understand why you'd go for a sponsor first and then go to the driver. I mean, Especially when he wanted th- there were no talks at all of Kyle wanting to leave JGR. Oh no. Yeah, no he did not want to leave. Yeah, I have to I have to bite my tongue a little bit on this one, but uh yeah, what TRD did, it was just very how everything went down was just very confusing. Again, it was uh TRD and it wasn't specifically Joe Gibbs, but TRD wanted the contract for a sponsor first before just signing Kyle Busch, which again, it's just to me, it's this backwards logic where you sign Kyle Busch and then you go out and get the sponsor so that the sponsor knows that Kyle Busch is going to be there for as long as that the sponsor's going to, you know, sign on for. But, I don't know, TRD uh, essentially lo- it lost the winningest driver in, I mean, modern NASCAR. Oh, yeah. He's, he's, a, yeah. he's a winning. He is. That's him. I mean, and they lost him. And he was the, uh, he made Toyota what it is in the Cup Series. And, I mean, sure, Gibbs helped with that, but it was Kyle Busch that won so many races for Toyota right off the bat after that switch and really put Toyota on the map in the Cup Series and then to lose him like that, uh, I think it's a massive pickup for RCR. I mean, also from the standpoint that now RCR gets Kyle Busch Motorsports the truck team, um, and it really, as you guys were saying, it's the wisdom of Kyle Busch where, I mean, already, look at how it did in the Clash. It was two of the two fastest cars were Austin Dillon and Kyle Busch. Uh, I think Kyle Busch is going to come back and have a bit of a season to prove himself here. Uh, and then at the same time, um, maybe even a bit of a 
an image rehabilitation, you know, where I think now that he's at a Chevy team uh, and now that he's at RCR, I mean, even I'm using Richard Childress's words here. He said that he reminds him of Dale Earnhardt. And I, you know, he is uh, he is the driver in, in NASCAR anymore that anyone can point to and say he has, you know, the villain personality that he leans into that Dale did. There's not really any other driver that you can definitively point to the same way that you can with Kyle. Absolutely. And uh, again, Dale, you want to talk a little bit about Jimmy Johnson coming back to NASCAR and starting up Legacy Motor Club? Yes. So to me, that's really exciting. Um, Him coming back part-time, obviously, um, not full-time. As much as I'd like to see him, you know, I personally grew up a, I did not like Jimmy. Jimmy was winning all the time. Yeah, all the time. I loved. I love Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> that's how. That's how I made one of my first friends. Was that we were both Jimmy Johnson fans. But I'll, I, I interrupted you. But, no, 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 you're fine. But uh, no, it's it's bittersweet to see him come back. It really is. Um, I don't really know how he's gonna do. Uh, for sure, he could drive. There's no doubt. I mean, his IndyCar stint. Probably didn't go how as good as he wanted it to. <laughs> Rough. Um, Rough. But uh, there's no doubt that he could drive. Um, he, will, I think he'll do decently in all of his starts that he does. Um, for sure, he'll um, elevate legacy for sure. I agree with that. And as I said, as a as a former Jimmy Johnson fan, I'm excited to see him come back, even though it's on a part time schedule. And I think he he will still do pretty well in the Cup Series, especially considering that. If I'm not mistaken, Le- Legacy Motor Club basically has the same parts from Petty Enterprises. Yeah, it's it's Petty GMS uh, rebranded, just, just rebranded, yeah. and I mean it's, I mean it's getting help from Chevy. I mean it's what the fourth or probably the fourth team on the rung, but even then, uh, just a massive upgrade over. I mean, talk about two years ago, uh, the team was almost closed two mm-hmm. years ago, and then it gets bought co-bought by, or really bought out, by uh, Maury Gallagher, who owns Allegiant Airways, and then uh, all that fresh money comes to the team, and then they attract Jimmy Johnson to bring in even more. They go out and replace Ty Dillon with Noah Gragson, which is a, is an upgrade. I mean, it's an upgrade. Noah brings a lot to the sport, and no matter, Ty's a, uh, a good a good guy and a good driver, but you know, it's a clear upgrade in the 42 car, and then Eric Jones won in the 43 for the first time in how many years? I mean, it was since Almarola won in Daytona. Yeah, Almarola won in a rain-shortened race. Rain yes, rain-shortened Talladega, and, and before bef- that, it was probably John Andretti. Yes, in Daytona. N- no, that was it was Martinsville. Yeah, yeah Daytona, was his, Daytona was his first one. He and won then that it was Martinsville, in yeah. the RCA '98 car, I think, at Daytona, and then he it was uh, Martinsville '99, I think, and then. Yeah. That was the last time a petty car won on an on-plate track or won anything besides the the rain-shortened race that Almarola won, which is just crazy to think about. But there's so much fresh life being breathed into that team. and I mean, it's got a, a good driver lineup. Jones is plenty capable. Uh, so is Gregson. It'll be interesting to see how Noah does in the Cup Series full-time this year. Uh, will he puke every race? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. Um, and, going, and going back to Johnson, spe- to, yeah. to Johnson specifically, it really seemed like going from the Cup Series immediately into IndyCar that Johnson never really wanted to fully retire anyways, If you know, seeing as how he went immediately into, into IndyCar and how that didn't work out for him. Uh, maybe this time he'll also get a uh, full send-off with fans as well, seeing as how he retired in 2020. 
uh, during you know the COVID year. So I, th- I think it'll work out for him in the end. Uh, maybe you know it might have to take another weekend if uh, if he doesn't make the 500. We'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah, Jimmy Johnson not locked into the 500. We'll be talking about the duels and qualifying in just a few minutes. But uh, I guess some other topics. Anything else, Dale? You want to you want to talk about anything of note that you want to point out? Um, so looking at all of our uh, changing faces in the offseason, I think that Brandon Jones will be a huge threat, huge threat this year for the title. Um, of course, John Hunter Nemechek taking over the 20 for Joe Gibbs and Xfinity full-time. Um, he will also be a threat, but I think Brandon Jones with Junior Motorsports in that nine, in that nine car will um, definitely be a threat. I think that it's an upgrade for Brandon from JGR. As weird as that may sound, I just feel like that Junior Motorsports is stronger. Um, and with John Hunter check in the 20, um, that's just too... The Xfinity Series is looking pretty pretty good this year. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm interested in seeing how John Hunter check ends up uh, panning out in a, in a full season because last year he did have in his first race with Joe Gibbs Racing in the 18 car he ran second at Richmond. Mm-hmm. So and he's had some pretty good, uh, pretty good. He's won races Xfinity races that. in the past for Gibbs. Yep. I mean he won it. At, and and Chip Ganassi. Looking at yeah, it, and and Chip Ganassi. Yeah. Looking at it now before going to Joe Gibbs midway through 2022 he was with Sam Hunt Racing. Yeah, Sam Hunt's, a, Sam Hunt's a solid team. Yeah, Sam, but even then, it's not it's not the juggernaut that Gibbs is. Yeah, yeah, but ran top five in two different races there as well. So, I think in a full season, I'm excited to see how John Hunter Nemechek ends up as well. I think he'll do well overall. He's proved that he can in the Xfinity Series before. I'm also, or can I just I just want to talk about it while we're talking about Gibbs Xfinity. I want to mention that 19 car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's just a what a lineup in that car. It's uh, that is all star. Doesn't get better than that. Yeah, it doesn't get better. I mean, you got uh, Joe Graff in the car. You Fantastic. got Myatt Snyder in the car. You got Ryan Truex in the car. Uh, Ty Gibbs will be in driving that in his limited starts, and I think they still got a, a decent amount of races still to fill there. But uh, already looking like a. They're figuring it out, depending on what the crash bill is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it'll be! I cannot wait to see Joe Graff Jr. in a uh, in a Joe Gibbs car. That's, I mean, surely it can't go as bad as everybody think it's going to go, right? It's gonna. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I. It's. You know, I wonder if Gibbs considered putting him in for uh, for Daytona, and they're just like, yeah. Well, my well, my look at what happened to Myatt last year, and he's going to be in the car. Yeah, the for car's going to wreck anyway. Why didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> um, I also like uh, Jeffrey Earnhardt at Alpha Prime. I think that's a cool. I think that's a cool matchup. It's going to be interesting to see Jeffrey finally in a full time car again. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Alpha Prime is going to be a chump team this year. I mean, it wasn't last year necessarily, but uh, I mean. Caesar Baccarella has put a lot of money into that team, and it made a lot had a lot of action in the offseason. And uh, Jeffrey's going to be in the 44 car full time, and I think it'll be interesting to see what he can do with solid ECR motors in a in a good consistent car that is above JD Motorsports uh, for a full season. Uh, I don't think he's going to set the world on fire, but I wouldn't count him out at like a plate track. I I I agree, and I'm, I'm looking at his stats now, and with so some of the finishes he's had with teams like Joe Gibbs and 
Richard Childress as well. He he ran second last year at Talladega with RCR. So it, it's a, it's a similar thing with like sort of like what we mentioned with John Ernemichek, where he's ran well at other tracks before, and especially with plates with Jeffrey Earnhardt. So I, I think in a full time stint with some pretty good equipment, he can do at least moderately well. And then before we move to the next topic, I just wanted to point out, uh, I, I'm really excited to see Ryan Priest, what he can do in the 41 car this year. Uh, I just feel bad for Cole Custer. He seems like he lost his confidence. That was what I heard, is that he, he lost his confidence uh, because that team just, it could not. If it didn't have bad luck, it'd have no luck at all. 28th every week. <laughs> every week, and it just refused to make any changes as the season went on. I was, I was thinking, surely they would swap out Shiplet at some point from the crew chief position, but they just it just never did. And Cole got booted down back to the Xfinity Series, which I think is going to do wonders for him. I think he's going to light the series on fire this year back. I mean, he won, what, seven races the last time he was full-time yeah, in a car? Yeah, something like that. And uh, I think he'll be about the same this year. Uh, I think it'll do wonders for his confidence, but I'm really excited to see what Ryan Priest can finally do in upper echelon equipment, because when he was at JTG a few years ago, he was driving a, bu- a car with half a budget. Mm-hmm. Where it was that team, they on, ran we, it as an open car, didn't they? Yeah, we ran it as an open car too, so it wasn't making any money, right. and it was just running on pennies uh, and B two B sponsorships, and it was just it did not have the money that it needed, and I don't think it reflected upon Priest's talent. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how he does because he's Kevin Harvick's guy. That's Harvick's guy. He signed to KHI Management. Harvick has lobbied for him to be in that car for over. He was nearly in it last year. I mean, and then he drove those few races for uh, Rick Ware with a technical partnership with uh, Stuart Haas. But uh, I think Priest will certainly be pretty deadly at the short tracks. I'm just interest, interested to see how he does at the uh, the bigger tracks in a Stuart Haas car, which weren't entirely great last year. But, hey, you know, I don't. it's just going to be interesting to see how Priest does finally in a bit better equipment. So we'll head on to the next topic. And it'll be Daytona, Daytona, Daytona. That's what's happening this week. Uh, again, a lot of notables on the entry list across these four, uh, I guess the four races that are occurring this weekend uh, for Menards, or for the Arkham Menards series. Specifically, I want to point out uh, Hollywood star Frankie Muniz is going to be racing. He's full-time in the ARCA series now, the uh, the National Series, not either East or West, but uh, he'll be full-time in the 30 car for Rhett Jones, and he'll be driving with a chassis that was in, it was It's the uh, chassis from Sterling Marlin's 40 car in the 2001 Daytona 500. And that was the race that he was the pace car driver for in the, the Pontiac Aztec for the uh, 2001 Daytona 500, but parallels. Isn't that crazy? It, it comes full circle, and as someone who, full context, doesn't really watch the ARCA series, I'd, mostly Cup series, it's... Is that going to draw your eyes maybe to a little bit of ARCA this season, possibly? It does. I'm going to be interested to see what Frankie Muniz does specifically. And as someone who watched him on Malcolm in the Middle and uh, remembering the episode he did where they filmed at Irwindale Speedway in California for his episode where they went to a NASCAR race, everything's just sort of come full circle for him. And he's raced before in other, other types of motorsports as well, but... I'll be interested to see how well he does in ARCA, if well at all. But <laughs> yeah, he was it was actually pretty okay in his uh, in his late model races at Irwindale because he he drove part time there the last year or two. But he actually did okay. Uh, it can't possibly go any worse than 
I mean, Amber Balkan is act, is actually not that bad of a driver as she had no luck last year, and just that that car got torn up in every race. So I, I don't think it could possibly go that bad. Um, but anyways, uh, onto the truck series, some notables there. Uh, you got Nick Sanchez now. Rev Racing moves up to the truck series and basically a pseudo KBM truck, um, and then. Uh, who else? I mean, Sammy Smith's in the 17 truck. Uh, as, uh, Taylor Gray's not old enough yet. It'll be uh, Sammy needs some plate experience, so he'll be there. And then Christian Eck is now in the uh, Bill McAnally truck in the 19, replacing Derek Krause, who now is basically without a ride. He's in the 20 for Daytona only, and I'm sure, I'm sure his competitors are really sad about that. <laughs> uh, and then uh, who else? Who else? Uh, Chase Elliott's going to be Krishnaka's teammate in the Daytona truck race uh, for a one-off there. And then uh, Zane Smith, uh, last year's champion back in the 38 truck for another season. Travis Pastrana also running the truck race before he attempts Daytona. Uh, that possibly, depending on how the duels go, that might be his only true race, points race this weekend. And then uh, I'd like to give a shout-out to Norm Benning. He's back in the race. He's in, uh, he'll be attempting in the 46 truck. Uh, go Norm. Let's see Norm make the field. You know, Even if it's for G2G, that might be the best truck he's raced in ever. It might be the best equipment he's ever run in NASCAR, which is frightening to think about. Uh, and then, you know, for time's sake, we'll just skip by. There's a lot of notable people in Xfinity and trucks. You know what? We'll just talk about it. Uh, who's going to qualify on time tonight, guys? Who's going to qualify on time uh, as the six open cars? Let's set the field for you. I'll go back. Uh, the six open cars for the Daytona 500 are all good cars. 13 to Chandler Smith in the Colleg Racing Chevrolet. Uh, Zane Smith, truck champion, is going to be in an open car for front row in the 36. Connor Daly is running the 50 with the money team. Austin Hales in the 62 and basically an RCR car with uh, Beard Motorsports. Travis Pastrana is running for 2311 in the 67 car in a ugly paint scheme. Uh, and then finally, Jimmy Johnson in the 84. So out of those six cars tonight, guys, who's going to be the two that qualify on time? Johnson and Pastrana. I, I agree with that. And I think Chandler Smith will be up there as well. I don't, I don't think he'll be in the top two, but I think seeing as how Collard Racing has that alliance with RCR, I think equipment-wise that will really help him. But going back to that paint scheme as well, Travis Pastrana just seems to have a bad history with ugly paint schemes. Hey, the, 23, the, the one he ran in 2013 was not that bad. And going back crazy, to that, but he did have some solid numbers standings-wise in that number 60 car. Yeah. Four top 10s in 2013 with Roush Fenway, and he's in another quality ride with 2311. So, I, I think he will be one of the two who goes in on time, and I think I remember he did pretty well in plate in plate races as he well. He did. He he, uh, he won a pole at one of them. I think it was Talladega I think he won a pole at in 2013. So, he knows how to get it done in qualifying, but this car's going to be way different uh, with the setup. And again, no practice. No practice. Uh, just get quickly your, your thoughts on that, guys. Do you think NASCAR made a good decision or a bad decision? Denny Hamlin hates it. Logano said yesterday that he loves it. You know, clearly the drivers are torn. What are your thoughts on NASCAR just taking away practice before qualifying in the duels for the 500? I think it's a bad decision. I think it's tonight it's going to show a false light of who's fast because, yes, we could have the fastest car tonight be on the uh, pole for the 500, but... You know, once we go through these practice sessions, once they start adjusting, I, th- I think it's just going to be a false light for everybody. Mm. I I agree with that, and I, I I don't like it either. And especially, it's especially bad for dri- for drivers like. 
Connor Daly, for example, where even though he's had experience at Daytona before in other in other uh, racing leagues, it, he's never ran at Daytona in NASCAR specifically, and he's only had a grand. Or, no, he has. He's he's ran a grand total of three uh, three NASCAR races, but none of them were at Daytona. But for for drivers like that, and for other drivers who are younger who haven't raced as much at Daytona it, I, I don't really think it's going to help matters for them and going back to Pastrana he, he was even quoted as saying for me I'll find out in the first turn what my balance is like but for sure it would be nice to have more than one turn to figure that out so even someone who's raced in Daytona before like Pastrana but is still fighting for one of those two spots even he is like, uh, it's, I would really like that practice beforehand. Absolutely. Uh, and then my, my picks for who's going to qualify tonight, I think it's I think it's a shocker. I don't think Johnson qualifies tonight. I think he's got to race his way in on the duels. I think it's going to be Austin Hill, and I think it's going to be Travis Pastrana. I think those are my two. I think Jimmy's going to have to race his way in the duel. It's my gut feeling. I got a gut feeling Jimmy's going to be third fastest tonight. He'll just come up a little short, but I think it's Hill and Pastrana who make it in on time tonight. I think they're just going to they're going to load that 67 car because they know of his inexperience. So I, I think it's the 67 and the 62 that make it in on time tonight. But uh, you know, you never know. Uh, all right. So uh, on that again, who qualifies in? Who misses the 500? Or who's going to win the poll tonight? Just very quickly, who wins the poll? Somebody in Chevrolet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. I'm going to say Kyle Larson. He won the poll last really? year. Uh, he, okay. he won, hey, he won the poll last year, and somehow, even though, <laughs> <laughs> even though it was in a different style of track, he did run consistently in the top ten in LA as well. I I think I'm. I'll go with him out of out of anyone else. All right, and uh, so Daly got a Chevrolet. Uh, Sean, you got Kyle Larson. Um. I'll go with a Hendrick car. I'll go with a Hendrick car. I, I, I think it'll be one of the four Hendrick cars it usually is. I don't think it'll be... It certainly won't be a Ford, and I don't think it'll be a Toyota. Even though the Toyotas were fast at the end of the season last year in qualifying uh, Talladega. All right, so who misses the show? Who's the two cars that go home out of those six? I'm going to say one of them will be Connor Daly. I just don't have faith in yeah. the in the money team car. No. And it's the smallest team in the field. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Zane Smith as well. Uh just because I think Johnson being in basically a a petty car and everyone else I I think just everyone else having better quality rides whether it be basically an RCR car or basically a petty car in Johnson I'd, even though Zane Smith ran well last year in trucks in Daytona I don't think it's really going to cross over in cup uh, this time Dale who you got missing? Uh, Daly there's 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 just there's no hope for the 50 <laughs> I mean it's it's the lowest funded car in the field and with the strength of the open cars there's just no way um, but my second car I have missing is Chandler Smith Yep. here's why um, he's not going to qualify in on time tonight. Uh, Colleague was 25th and 33rd last year in Daytona 500 qualifying. And Chandler Smith, I just think he's going to wreck trying or he's going to make a mistake. Mm-hmm. So. I think inexperience is going to pay a factor where he is. He's, he hasn't even well, he's run like four Xfinity races, and none of them were on a plate track. If I No, actually one of them was. It was at Daytona, I think, last year. But even then, I think inexperience is going to cost Chandler Smith and Connor Daly and then uh, a lack of 
solid funding is also going to cost the 50 cars. It's again the small. It's the smallest team in the field. Uh, but hey, you know anything can happen. Anybody can wreck in the duels. There's been some controversy. I mean. Daniel Suarez wasn't expected to miss what two three years ago, and then yep. and then he did. So that was that was a shocker. So again, anything can happen in the duels. All right. So uh, your I guess just your predictions for uh, we'll skip for time's sake the truck and the Xfinity race. What's happening in the Daytona 500? Who's going to win? What's going to happen? It might be an easy answer, but for how well he's done historically in Daytona and also running fifth in 2021. I'm going I'm going to go with Denny Hamlin and he's won he's only he's the only recent winner in the past 13 uh, repeat winner in the past 13 years at Daytona. 3 wins in the 500. I'm going to go with him, but I also like Ryan Blaney Blaney because he's he's been really consistent at Daytona, but he's always been a bridesmaid and never the bride. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Hamlin. I got... Everybody's going to love me for this. I got Chase Elliott. Oh. <laughs> All right. Why? Because um, he has been up there in a number of recent years. I just think that uh, this year he gets his big break, and he finally wins it, and it's his time to shine. However, I do have an underdog pick in Ryan Priest. Mm, okay, because Be- he actually is pretty good at plate racing. Because of his races in the 37. Because there was, for JTG, there was a lot of... He had some kind of crazy streak where he was like five top fives in restrictor plate races when he was running in the 37. He knows he knows how to run up front and keep it out of trouble, especially toward the end. You always know he's up front. So I think it'll be interesting to see if... I mean, he's already impressed us at the Clash. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what he could do. Yeah, my... Uh I, I think it's personally the 500. I think it's going to be a wreck fest again. Now everybody, I mean, it was last year to an extent, but now that teams have enough bodies and cars to withstand going out there, you know, they can uh, effectively just bring home a steering wheel, even though it's going to cost a pretty penny. Uh, for the sake of having a fun pick, I think Hamlin is probably going to be up there, but my eyes are on two numbers that are right next to each other, the 16 and the 17. I think A.J. Allmendinger and Chris Buescher, I think, might surprise people because Buescher was one of the most consistent people on plate tracks, consistently finished in the top five, I think, in that 17 car. is uh, Roush is very strong. RFK is very strong at plate tracks. I think Buescher would be a fun underdog. And then so is Allmendinger. Uh, I mean, him and Haley, I think, too. I mean, Colleague always finds a way, not in qualifying, but at least in the race, uh, to be up front at the end of these ones. So I think Almeninger is going to be certainly one to watch, but I don't know if I can pick specifically anybody to win, but I think if I had to pick someone to win, probably Hamlin. That's the easy pick. Boom. But uh, Yeah, but I, I think two underdogs that I would say have a good chance of winning that I think everybody's fairly counting out, Busher and Almeninger. All right, any final thoughts tonight, guys? None from on this side, but I will say, as a Chase Elliott fan, I have your back on your pick, at least. (laughs) Well, I do not speak on the behalf of a Chase Elliott fan, but I am a Larson fan, so I like your poll pick. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. Dale Garrett and Sean Kelly, thank you guys for being on tonight. That's going to conclude the Racing Roundtable, and that will conclude tonight's episode of Speed Zone. Thank you for tuning in. Again, for Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, I'm Ben Cower. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we're going to have our show at 8 p.m. because there's going to be a game next week. It'll air after the game, 8 or 8.30. 
Just tune in after the game next Wednesday. That's when this show will air. Again, Dale Garrett, Sean Kelly, I'm Ben Cower. Thank you for tuning in for the first ever episode of Speed Zone. You've been listening to another sports presentation on the Cutting Edge Sports Radio Network.